You're listening to the City of London Symphonia King of Ghosts podcast. In this episode, we'll bring you excerpts from our latest recording, King of Ghosts with Schumann Data, and Bill Barclay's full interview from the summer. Back in our Summer Holidays podcast released in September, you heard a snippet of a conversation between me, Matthew Swan, and Bill Barclay, Director of Music at Shakespeare's Globe, about a project we were doing with Shumik Data, the great British Indian Sarod player and composer. Since that conversation, we've recorded a new album of the soundtrack to King of Ghosts by Shumik Data, which was released on the 17th of November and is available via the Shakespeare's Globe shop and also at CLS Concerts and online in the new year. To celebrate this, we thought we'd play you the full conversation as Bill and I discuss Indian Sarod playing, bluegrass music and pretty much everything in between. Thank you very much. Okay, so um, I'm sat here in the beautiful environs of the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse at the Globe Theatre on the South Bank of London with Bill Barclay, who is Director of Music here. Is that the correct title? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we had a, an amazing concert, a real sort of, you know, shivers down the back of your neck, goosebump concert with, with Sumik Data. Mm. Last night. Oh, you pronounced it differently. You pronounced it... Shumik. Shumik Data. Mm. Okay. Um, uh, last night, there's another performance of that concert tonight. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm really sorry, but you've missed it. Although we, we are hoping we can work with with Shumik in the future. Um, but it just might be uh, worth you telling us, Bill, how the collaboration with with Shumik came about and and, and why CLS got involved and and etc. Sure. Um, well, Shumik is one of those artists that just pops up in a lot of wonderful places. So he was on our radar um, earlier before he played here the first time, but then when we had our Anushka Shankar series, she was one of the people we went to first when this venue came online in 2013, and uh, of 2013, early 2014. And we wanted to kick it off by welcoming as many different kinds of people here as possible. So that's, we had the Royal Opera here doing Lormindo. Uh, we had the London Jazz Festival here. Obviously, we were doing our own plays here. But then we wanted to christen it by starting a concert series, which we called Candlelit Concerts. Surprise, surprise, it's entirely lit by candles. Um, and you did make the point last night that I think it was 34 degrees in London yesterday and you thanked the audience for being here inside uh, treated to 150 naked flames in 34 degrees. <laughs> On the hottest night of the year, yeah. Yeah, yeah no kidding. It was a, it's, it's a bold thing for people to do and it turns out that uh, uh, um, uh, noiseless air conditioning is real. It's very expensive and we have mm. it, thank God, but it still did feel very hot in here last night. I suppose when you have yeah, a candlelit room, it's sort of inescapable. Um, Anushka did four concerts here, ranging from you know classical Indian to very modern stuff. Uh, and one of the performers she brought, one of the many performers she brought, was Shumik, and 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 he was here for one half of one program with her. And we just fell in love with him. Mm. He's incredibly generous. He's incredibly gentle. His playing is absolutely extraordinary. And the Sarod isn't like. The Sitar and Tablas, where many people could probably rattle off three or four players in the world who they like and love. Um, 
there aren't that many really well-known Sarod players. I'm, I'm listening to myself say this, thinking many of your listeners may disagree with me, because, of course, there are many people, and mm. uh, British Indian musicians who play the Sarod. But, but the flip side is, of course, a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, what on earth is a Sarod? Yeah. <laughs> what, what is a Sarod? <laughs> Fair enough. So I describe the Sarod to people as like the, the Indian electric guitar. But that's mainly because that's kind of how it looks, and that's the way Schumach plays it. Mm. It's, a, it's a small sitar, so it's a horizontal, lateral instrument you play, kind of in a guitar shape. But the, the, the fretboard is much wider than an electric guitar, and it's entirely made of metal. And it has five open strings that sort of are a bit like the banjo, because the head is, is a skin of some kind. I'm not sure what kind of skin they use in, in, in Bengal or in India. Um, of course, banjo it could be caskin or goatskin. Mm. It has that kind of a sound, but because the, the the fretboard is metal and because it doesn't have any frets, it's basically like a slip and slide. Um, so it sounds a little bit like a dobro when you plug it in, which is that um, southern metallic American guitar, a little bit like a lap or pedal steel, because you're you're sliding something hard against something hard. In this case. Schimmick has to depress the strings with his fingernail mm. in order to make uh, a resonant vibration. Because otherwise it would just be a sort of sound. That's right. It sort of, get, it sort of mutes itself immediately. Um, so there are five strings, and then there's, I think, eight or nine sympathetic strings like a sitar mm. has that just give it a lot of extra body and resonance to the sound. You don't play directly, but sort of you know, vibrate with the, string, with the other strings. some of what he was doing in, in King of Ghosts, which we'll talk about in a bit. Yeah, well, it's interesting you say that, because I had the same notion, and uh, I play a little bit of the banjo myself, and the top string of a five-string banjo is a G string, and it's a drone, drone string, and it's, it's, it's the highest string at the top. And in Appalachian music or American bluegrass music, that drone string you hear just pinging regularly that's mm. rarely fretted. You, you rarely fret that string. So it's a drone. It's a high drone. And in King of Ghosts, he's always going to that string in mm. between his other keystrokes. And that just gives that high drone sound that is in sort of Appalachian music. So it's a, it's a weird thing, because obviously those styles existed and developed completely independently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a beautiful instrument. He plays it beautifully, but Schumach plugs it in every time he plays, which you typically have to do because it's a quiet instrument anyway. But then you'll see him at a rock gig with a whole guitar pedal board. And he's got distortion, he's got reverb, he's got compression. Um, and he's playing with bands, he's playing with um, uh, ethnic musicians from all over the world. And he's, a, he's an extraordinary pioneer of the instrument. Um, and the King of Ghosts program is a real example of his mm. entrepreneurship, I think. Yeah, well, let's talk about the, the program because it, it's an amazing thing. Mm. This this film and this 
live score, which is, has got the, the Sered in it, it's got, um, I, I think Connor, the percussionist, is, is Irish, so he's coming from, from that school of music, and uh, a classical string sextet in. So it's a real meeting. It's wild, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, real meeting of worlds. I was not a part when the score was created, but there was another element. So Cormac Byrne is an Irish percussionist who does a lot of, as you saw, a lot of other kit stuff, uh, instruments, percussion instruments from all over the world. Although the centerpiece of it is the Bowron, the mm. Irish frame drum that he plays virtuosically, as you saw. Um, and then there's Schimmick, obviously the British Bengali musician. And then there's a classical symphony orchestra, originally a 30-piece with wind and brass instruments. But then there's this composer, conductor Johannes Barrauer, who's a, just a sort of young um, German composer who did the string arrangements, who is approaching it from sort of a, a very mid-20th century sort of lexicon of composition where there's a lot of um, not too extended technique stuff, but there's a there's there's wonderful writing, tremolando writing, scherzando writing. You know, you see sopanticello, flotando. You see a lot of um, uh, there's even a Hopstimme, um indication, which is a Schoenberg uh, indication in a score for what the lead voice is in a very dense texture. So reading the score, I'm getting like 1950s, 1960s classical music, second Viennese school language, plus this, um, this, this Bengali artist, plus this Irish percussionist, mm. plus this 1950s black and white farce film. Yeah. I didn't know that well, uh, but that's probably just because of my age. Um, uh, I'm 36. Uh, to for for people who are I don't know maybe 20 years older than I, I can see because they the pass by in the office here at the Global. I'm just watching the film. They go, "That's Sajid Ray." I'm like, "How did you know that?" Well, apparently he was on on um, television a lot in the 60s and 70s here, and his films were being shown. Black and white films were being shown. I didn't know who he was, but he's a hugely famous father mm. of sort of the golden age of of pre what we know as Bollywood cinema. Yeah. So it's not a musical and it's a silent film and this is not playing the original score or any version of the original score. This is a completely original film music composition that was chucked on top of a very funny old film which Shumit calls the first superhero story in Indian film history of two hapless sort of bumbling um, yeomen who get magic powers to become brilliant musicians uh, and end up saving the day and getting girls at the end. It's, Cause it's, it's funny actually because the two things struck me about it that were kind of not an anomaly but there was an irony in it that because the, 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 one of the magic powers that these guys get is the ability to sing and whenever they sing people will just stop and listen mm. um, but of course it's a silent film so you never actually hear the singing. It's always sort of inferred in some way or inferred in the score. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is normally, because at the start, towards the start of the film, they get, they get given three boons 
So like sort of wishes. I mean, yeah. you think of Aladdin and the genie, yeah. and they get these three wishes, but the wishes they can use over and over again. So one of them is to be clothed and fed, and every time they, they clap their hands together, basically do a high five, food appears, and they use it to escape from all sorts of things. Um, and then at the end, normally what happens in these things is they get the comeuppance and there's a kind of moral to the story, but these guys in the end get two really hot princesses and get to live in sort of, you know, riches in the royal palace. So it's kind of like, yeah, you, you can trick the system. It, it does work. It does is, work. Yeah. What's not to like? Yeah. It's a fantasy, but um, it, for some reason it's, it's, it's not like it's, it's believable, but it's emotionally believable because yeah. you just want good things to happen to good people. And in that sense, it is justice about these two people who are ne'er-do-wells who end up coming out with everything their hearts could desire. Yeah, but along the way, yeah, it's so it's so farcical. But again, there's that complimentary thing of the three wishes, and mm. you see that appearing in all these different cultures. And oh, was this one person's idea? No, it's it couldn't possibly be. It's just something that sort of evolves like a natural constant and flowers in different parts of the world. Well, it must be. Maybe not. I don't know. I th- well, there, there must be. Sarad, Sarid, Sarad, yes, the the instrument that Mm. that Schumit plays, Um, uh, and the sort of links with with bluegrass, but of course bluegrass originally came from Scots and Irish um, fiddle music, which was in turn influenced by Roma music, so... Who knows? Yeah, and they say the the banjo came from Africa, you know, which of course you can see in the calabash instruments that they have there and the cora and everything else. Yeah, so yeah, I I don't know either. More in common than divides us. Exactly. As a a famous person once said. (laughs) Um, Just in terms of, you know, working with with the musicians from City of London Symphonia and someone who comes from a non notated, non Western classical background. How, because you were conducting last night, mm. um, which you, you, in a glorious moment of self modesty, said, I'm conducting because we need to save some budget. Uh, and actually, you're conducting because you, you're one of these people that has that unique ability to speak about 10 different musical languages at once, mm. which is a, a sort of rare gift. Um, but how do, you, how do you see the relationships between Anne Morphy and, and Ruth Gibson and Violin Viola and, and, and Schumick? Because, I mean, there, were, there was clearly not just respect between the different traditions, but an enormous amount of love as well. How, but how do, you, how do you sort of meld those worlds together? Because it's something CLS does a lot. Yeah, I don't know. And you're so right. It's, it's all about love and care and personal relationships. And, and, and your players um, are just expert naturals at that. Which is something I started off talking to them about as I was trying to get the um, Cormac and Schimmick and sort of his team, his audio engineer and, and sort of his people who are here helping this happen. And then obviously your team and your players was just that everyone here, this is a natural fit for everyone to just reach across a sort of aisle and embrace a completely different musical vocabulary. Um, and I've seen you guys do that over and over again, just, uh, just watching you in concert. But obviously you never know what's really going to happen, and that's part of the excitement of it, but also part of the fear. Um, but in this instance, I was reminded by something that sort of occurs to me over and over again working at the Globe, which is for some reason we have these boundaries that the, the, the industry we're in have these silos, that there's classical music here or ethnic music here, or there's serious there's jazz music here and, and operas over here. And, and as soon as you get players together in an interesting situation where people feel comfortable, I think that may be the key mm. ingredient is 
creating an environment where people feel relaxed and comfortable. And as soon as you establish that, there are, there's no aisle to reach across. Mm. And there's no boundary to, to sort of navigate or, or... There is sometimes if not everyone speaks English, that's happened. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's definitely a thing, and we didn't have that problem here. And there is sometimes when someone reads music and other people don't read music. Yeah. Now, in this situation, everyone reads Western classical music. And Schumach scored or contributed to the scoring of the string parts themselves. So we didn't get a situation where we were bringing someone, say... 1,500 miles in, who really had no idea. Mm. The pl- he knew what they were supposed to do. He was able to comment. When they asked questions, they would ask me. I would defer to Shimek. Yeah, Shimek was able to answer them with, with full love, care, and knowledge about what they were doing. That earns the respect of the string players that they know that the soloist knows what they're doing. And if the soloist-ensemble relationship is healthy like that, where they're in dialogue, there's really nothing stopping the evening from being a success because your players are brilliant. Um, and all those wonderful slurs and portamentos and um, pitch bends and the qualities of string playing that allow it to feel like an orchestra from a different era or from a different mm. continent. It, it only took them about a half an hour to realize that they had to use that part of their brain. And from then it was just fun. Yeah. It looked fun. It looked like you were having a great time. We were. Yeah. absolutely loved it. Is there anything, is, is there one bit of the film that really stands out for you, musically or, or visually? Oh, wow. There's, there's one really fun bit which I really liked, which is towards the end of the film, the, 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 actually no, about halfway through this is how they end up in the employment of this Maharaja. They win a music contest. Yeah. And all these different, very sort of finely regaled musicians are sat around um, waiting to audition and they all tune up. So all the music stops on stage, the live music, and the musicians, the, the string players tune up and they chat to each other. And it was, quite, it was kind of a delayed laugh because it took the audience about five seconds to realise what was going on and then everyone was like, Oh, that's, that's quite funny. That's quite funny. <laughs> we have this joke upstairs in the office, too, because I'm, I'm the only American here, and we say in the States, people, people say to each other, that's really funny. Because, you know, they recognize that you're supposed to get a laugh and you didn't. So we have a sort of in-joke here where if it wasn't really that funny, people just go, that was funny. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was one of those moments. Uh, yeah, we might restructure that tonight. I'm not really sure. Um, well... I was watching it again, as you know, because I'm watching it during the show, and the moment when the two guys meet the King of Ghosts for the first time early on, and they have this, that extended five-minute psychedelic... That is strange beyond belief. Isn't it? Yeah. And it's so bizarre, and obviously Satyajit Ray is experimenting with what at that moment would have been cutting-edge. Mm film techniques about how to haze people's faces and how to have negative images and yeah. how to overlap images of people dancing in a forest but but obviously the actors aren't in a forest they're somewhere else so it looks like they're sort of moving between the trees and and aside from my sort of love of that era of experimental filmmaking which had to have been just a rolling concept of what is new and edgy mm. and interesting to do in film whether even whether it looked good yeah but i can't help noticing that when the, the the ghosts actually become in you see them that they're wearing 
like black commedia masks. Yeah. Some of them are wearing these half black half masks, these sort of ghoulish half masks. And it it starts to for me to be on really dodgy sort of racial grounds. And mm. I can't quite tell because obviously they're Indian people making this. And and whether they're these are brown skinned half masks in these sort of sometimes colonial clothes. Yeah, there's one dressed up as a judge and one dressed up obviously as a banker, but in massively outsized, almost puppet. I mean, they're, they're clearly figures of ridicule in some yes, way. yeah. But whether they're, it's a Raj thing or like a, like a neo-Raj commentary of having like the fat cats yeah. who are presiding over a culture, but instead of having white masks, they're in the darker masks and just trying to perceive what the commentary is mm. over who these nefarious um, ghosts are. And then, of course, the king of ghosts is a, is a, is a very dark-skinned, sort of crazy figure who sort of reminds me of, like, just in the way he's presented, like Sun Ra. Like, he's like the ultimate psychedelic freak show. I don't mean to say Sun Ra is a freak show. I love Sun Ra, but the idea of it being so far out there that you're terrified and also attracted to this image... Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's probably... It's also my favorite part of the film because Cormac and Schumick just solo. Mm. And the solo is structured for them, but the musicians, the, the, the sextet, Strings and I, are just sitting back watching the virtuosity take place and, and taking in the weirdness of the film. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a really surreal but strangely transcendent mm. moment. King of Ghosts looked like Rick Wakeman and Yes... Oh, right. more outrageous moments to me yeah good call actually so if, if anybody listening is from that that era yeah Rick Wakeman yes yeah, that's, that's such a good call it's beautiful the film is two and a half hours long some people here last night said that they used to watch it when they were kids so apparently it's, a, it's, it's relatively famous with maybe a certain part of your audience but um, Shimmick has edited it down to an hour um, and he's performed this all over the world in very di- several different combinations we hope to continue to perform it in mm. other places listening to the City of London Symphonia King of Ghosts podcast, featuring Chief Executive Matthew Swan in conversation with Bill Barclay from Shakespeare's Globe, and excerpts from King of Ghosts, recorded at Shakespeare's Globe with Shumik Data in September, and released exclusively on Globe Music on 17th of November 2017. This podcast has been produced, edited, and presented by members of the City of London Symphonia executive team.